Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I am not an expert on any of the topics I talk about on the show. I encourage you to do your own skeptical inquiry and let me know if I've made an error. Also, I swear, not all the time, but when I get excited or passionate, yes, the cusses come out. So listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Ruby, and this is episode 34 of Living Through Extinction, a podcast that takes a look at what we can do to make things better for future generations, preceded by short segments on skepticism, environment, wildlife, and archaeology and followed by a segment that focuses on positivity of some kind. If you've joined me before, thank you for returning. If you are new to the show, welcome. I hope you will find it both fun and informative. For today's segment in skepticism, I would like to take a quick look at the claims made by Texas Republicans regarding the 2021 vicious storms they endured. They want their constituents to believe that this would have never been so bad if it weren't for the wind turbines freezing up. Not only are they lying, but they know that they're lying. They know that if everyone realized the real reasons that they just went through a wintry hell, they would vote to join the rest of the country in regulations and grid connections. And Republicans don't want that. How many people do you know who bought into this bullshit and shared it? Hopefully not many. Probably zero if you keep good company. In the southern U.S., however, the naivety of grown-ass adults is fucking ridiculous. They buy into things so easily. A simple check on their own state's power structure immediately shows the truth. First of all, wind turbines provide just 7% of Texas's power. If all of them stopped working all at once and that was the only issue, barely anyone would even notice. The real reason Texas had so many issues on such severe levels is that their Republican senators made a choice. They did not want to be held to the same regulatory standards as the rest of the country. So they made the choice to keep their own closed grid unconnected to everybody else and without regulations that would have forced them to winterize. They were warned several years ago when this happened that it would happen again one day and that the responsible thing to do would be to prepare for it. They ignored that advice and kept to their unregulated, unconnected system. Lack of regulations mean that they do not have to winterize. Not taking any winterization steps is what killed their grid. Not being connected to anyone else in the country means that when they have an emergency, they can't get help from anyone else. There's nobody to borrow power from while they get things going again because they're not connected to anywhere that can help. As a matter of absolute fact, 10% of Texas is actually not connected to the Texas grid. And guess what? Despite having the same severe weather and damages, those areas not on the Texas grid had a whole lot less downtime than the rest of Texas. They were connected to regulated systems, and those that did still have issues were able to borrow power from the half of the country their grid is connected to. So in conclusion, it's the choices made by Texas senators and not 
freezing wind turbines that are responsible for how incredibly bad things got in Texas this year. They are trying to keep their constituents ignorant because they do not want to have to follow the same regulations as the rest of the country. Period. They are lying. And if you believe them, you are naive. Be skeptical, damn it. On the environment side of things, the new president in the U.S. is reviewing several environmental rollbacks put into place by the previous president for possible reversals. Following is a list of things done by the previous administration, which are now under review by the current. The rollback of rules prohibiting hunting of bears and other predators in Alaskan National Preserves. The removal of the gray wolf from the endangered species list. The removal of 11 species from the endangered species list. The denial of protections for the monarch butterfly. The weakening of protections on hunting, capturing, or killing migratory birds. The removal of the northern spotted owl from the endangered species list, which in turn removed protections which covered 3.4 million acres of land. The changing of the way the Endangered Species Act is applied, which made it harder to protect both animals and plants. And finally, the allowing of companies to incidentally harass, capture, or kill marine animals when in search of oil or gas in the Gulf of Mexico. So those are some of the environmental issues brought on by Trump being reviewed for possible reversals by Biden. Some steps are already being taken in some of these areas, so here's hoping he can actually get most, if not all, of it done. I have a dark story followed by a brighter story for wildlife today. Beginning on the grim side of things, we have the overall status of freshwater fish. Fresh waters, which are extremely biodiverse, cover only 1% of the world's surface. They include the ever-important wetlands, of course, as well as lakes and rivers. Of the freshwater areas that do exist, only about 14% of them remain pristine. Of more than 35,000 known species of fish, more than 18,000 live in fresh water. That's more than half for the math impaired. And it's not just fish. Fresh waters are home to almost one quarter of all vertebrate species. But this is about the fish. 16 conservation organizations have released a global assessment of the world's freshwater fish species titled The World's Forgotten Fishes. And part of the bad news is that one-third of our freshwater fish species are at risk of extinction. More of the bad news is that we have already lost 80 to extinction, 16 of which occurred in 2020. When it comes to larger species, 60 pounds and heavier, the extinction rate is even worse. Far beyond what I would have ever even guessed, in fact, at a whopping 94% gone. With a third of the remaining species in peril, we could be affected in more ways than one. Food. Freshwater fish is the main source of protein for more than 200 million people. And economy. Freshwater fishing provides jobs to more than 60 million people. The greatest issues are overfishing and climate change, of course, but also the fact that humans have severely damaged more than half of the world's rivers. Freshwater fish are a big part of keeping bellies full around the world, 
and we really should be trying to save them. On the brighter side of things, everyone Google these words. Rare yellow king penguin photographed for first time. What an absolute delight. If you are unable to take a look right now, I'm talking about a king penguin with a white bill, a cream colored body, and a yellow head and part of front. This was captured by photographer Yves Adams, that's Y-V-E-S-A-D-A-M-S, when on a two month photography trip in 2019. He had thousands of pictures to go through afterward and just recently got to and posted these. If you'd like to see it directly from his personal Instagram, it's under Yves underscore Adams. For those who are interested, this is not albinism, it's actually leucism, where an animal is mostly white but still able to produce a small amount of pigment. To see another example of leucism in penguins, Google image blonde chinstrap penguin. This is quite rare in penguins, and there are people who have studied them their entire lives without ever seeing one. So an actual digital image that can be seen by anyone who wants to? To me, that's fucking amazing. Take advantage of this opportunity and go take a look. Again, that's the rare yellow king penguin photographed for first time, and the Instagram is Yves underscore Adams. <laughs> For this episode, I decided to look into a personal pet peeve of mine. Fragrances. I'm not bothered by anything that smells food-like or anything, but perfumey or flowery to me is disgusting. There are multiple issues with fragrances, but they are also a huge business, with over 600 new scents released every year. And were you aware? that trade secret laws allow for the concealing of ingredients when it comes to fragrances? When a scented product lists its ingredients, it only has to put fragrance or the French parfum in place of possibly dozens of ingredients that make up the scent. There can be 100 ingredients, mostly petrochemical based, making up that fragrance, and there is nothing forcing companies to list them. According to the Environmental Working Group, if one sees the ingredients fragrance or perfume listed on a product, they may as well assume it stands for hidden chemicals. As a self-regulating industry, testing is not confirmed by any outside bodies or regulators before products are sold to customers. This really shouldn't be the case considering perfume spritz contains VOCs, or volatile organic compounds. According to a study by NOAA, who come up quite often in this podcast, that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, this was published in the journal Science, VOCs react with sunlight and other chemicals in our atmosphere to form ozone pollution. They have also shown that due to its petrochemical makeup, Perfume spritzes produce as much air pollution as car emissions. Obviously not in as big a quantity, however. In 1990, the California Air Resource Board released stats on VOCs. 265 tons of volatile organic compounds were being released into the Californian air every single day from the use of consumer products, which also included scented sprays other than perfume, such as hairspray. Natural and synthetic scents are both causing the same damage to the air around you, and synthetic fragrance chemicals have even been found in breast milk. Musks are also found in most perfumes, and they accumulate in the environment because they don't degrade. 
Instead, they find some sort of fatty aquatic organism tissues to attach to. As these smaller bits get eaten, and what eats them gets eaten, it actually bioaccumulates up the food chain. There have been wildlife concerns with musk as well, though not really anymore today. Industries used to get it from civets. The animals had to be killed and their glands removed, which would be scraped to obtain the secretions. Most musks today are synthetic, so better on the wildlife side. But the synthetic versions fall under those trade secret laws again, making it so they don't have to tell you shit. Another major problem comes from something I have a hard time saying. Phthalates. Phthalates are used in perfumes in order to assist with the dissolving and fixing of ingredients. They have been found in aquatic environments in growing numbers. And animal studies have shown links to malformation of the penis and adverse effects on developing testes result from phthalates. When it comes to production of perfumes and fragrances, I couldn't come up with a lot of information, but it is my understanding that it's an energy guzzling process. Then there is physical pollution from the bottles and their pieces, which are supposed to be properly taken apart and cleaned before recycling the parts that are recyclable. But come on, how many of us have taken the time to dismantle and clean old perfume bottles? Not that I use such things, but I know I would have been at fault if I did. Well, apparently we are not supposed to recycle perfume bottles that still contain perfume. It is quite common for perfumes to be discarded before being completely empty, however. So here's a conundrum. We are told we should dismantle and clean the bottles, but we are also told that perfume should never be poured down the drain. Am I missing something here? If you follow the first instructions, but there's still perfume in the bottle, you're doing just that, sending old perfume down the drain. And nowhere does it offer a real solution for if someone wants to get rid of old perfume, unless you live somewhere with a place that takes it. The best way to find out is to call your local hazardous waste collection company. They may or may not take it. There are some other suggestions out there for ways to get rid of perfume, but they all involve using it up. Things like selling or donating to crafters, spraying small pieces of wood to put in dresser drawers. That's all I can remember right now, but if you look it up, there are more suggestions out there. I just didn't really like most of them. Let's not forget that perfumes affect people quite a bit as well. Toxins from perfumes are absorbed by the skin into the bloodstream and brought to all the organs. The scents themselves can also cause headaches, nausea, runny nose, and other hay fever symptoms. They can aggravate sinus conditions and trigger skin irritations and allergies. Exposure can make asthma worse. Studies of asthmatics have shown that three out of four have attacks triggered from fragrances. There's even evidence that early exposure can contribute to the development of asthma. And for those who have had allergic reactions to cosmetic, the fragrances are the number one cause. Overall, most fragrances are considered highly toxic and any product that contains fragrance or parfum as an ingredient is not providing the entire story. Something with a natural label can be just as bad as something without because there are no standards or criteria that have to be checked and followed. So don't be fooled. My personal feelings are that I wish we would trash strong perfumey flowery scents. I understand that there was once a real need to cover up the fact that people only bathed once in a blue moon, but things have changed. Most of us bathe regularly these days. And I just don't understand the need for some people to cover themselves in flowery perfumes anymore. One of the most frustrating things for me was when they started scenting garbage bags. 
I have absolutely no desire for my garbage to smell like fucking perfume. And I have found myself in the garbage aisle searching unsuccessfully for the size I needed that was not scented. Stop perfuming every fucking thing. Enjoy your scents in moderation. But please don't shove them up everyone else's noses. The positive bit I would like to talk about today is communities. Communities are a great way for like minds to spend time together talking about and or doing something they love. The local folk and bluegrass community has meant a lot to my family over the years. Most of the people we love most were brought into our lives through this beautiful group of people. If Paul and I can't attend an event, like the last Cranky Festival for example, our son can go on his own and we know there will always be someone around who would look out for him. I remember sending him with money for food, but he didn't need it because the family we know was headed home for supper and then coming back to the festival and insisted he go with them. More than one adult that we trust offered to drive him home so he could stay to the end of the evening instead of leaving early on a bus. It really felt like even though we couldn't be there with him, he had all of these wonderful adults ready and willing to look out for him. I get choked up when I think about it sometimes. The music communities here in Winnipeg really are made up of wonderful people. Over the last year, I've been fortunate enough to join another local community. This one is for people interested in podcasting, and it has also enriched my life. We meet online once a month where we share ideas, exchange tips, and sometimes just rant with each other about Winnipeg politics. It's nice to have a group of people who not only share podcasting, but are also a part of the city where I live. Consider joining a community. If you can find people you enjoy spending time with, it's nothing but rewarding. that's all I have for you for today. Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro and outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 35 of Living Through Extinction.